I think we've all been there. We've all had experiences like that. And in fact, this morning, we're going to look at one of Jesus' very own disciples that when he hears about the resurrection of Jesus, he says there's no way it can be true. There's no possible way that this happened. And you guys may even recognize the name when I say it because there's, there's powerful things behind names. Uh, and sometimes people get labeled with something and they're more famous for the label than for who they actually are. Like if I said the king... Who am I talking about? Jesus. Yeah, you guys give the Sunday school answer. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the other king. I knew, I knew you guys would do that. What if I said the Duke? Who am I talking about? John Wayne. Yeah. What, uh, let's, what's the next one we got? We got the boss. Who knows who that is? Springsteen. Right. We got that. Yeah. All right. Next, we got his heirness. Who's that? Michael Jordan. That's right. His heirness. And then we've got the next one, The Rock. Who am I talking about? Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the people's eyebrow. That's back when he had hair. Now, baseball fans, you better know this one, the killer bees. Who am I talking about? Biggio and Bagwell, right? We get these labels, and and we get these nicknames that stick with us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a man who uh, you may or may not already know where I'm going with this. His name is Thomas, but most of us know him as Doubting Thomas, right? Because he hears about the resurrection not just from uh, Mary Magdalene, who's the first one at the tomb, but he hears from the other ten disciples, and he doesn't believe them. He doesn't believe uh, that Jesus has risen from the dead until he has a personal encounter with Jesus himself. And so this morning, I want us to look at his story, and I want us to see who he is, and I want us to see how this encounter with Jesus transformed his life. But before we do that, I, I want to give you a little bit of background on Thomas, because we don't really have a whole lot of information on Thomas. Um, typically, he's just listed as one of the disciples. We know that his name, both in Aramaic, uh, Thomas, means twin. Also, Didymus, uh, the, the Greek, also means twin. So we know that he had a twin. Uh, but th- that's pretty much all we know about him uh, from the other Gospels. But John gives us a little bit of information. He records two encounters with Thomas, and we see a little bit more than just a man who's, who's doubtful. In John chapter 11, we read about this encounter. Uh, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and that means he's got to head back towards Jerusalem. And his disciples know that the Pharisees, the leaders, uh, the religious leaders, all wanted to kill Jesus. And his disciples say, Jesus, if you go back, they're going to arrest you, and they're going to want to kill you. And this is what Thomas says. Thomas, the one called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go that we may die with him. Like, he's brave. He's ready to go. He's like, look, if our leader is going to die, we're going to go with him, right? So we see a man who's pretty strong in his conviction. And then we read later in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, hey, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And you know where I'm going. And you know how to get there. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we ever going to know the way? How can we possibly know the way? And then in Verse 6, we get one of the greatest declarations from Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. But I think in these encounters, what we see from Thomas is, here's a strong man. He's powerful in his convictions. He's, he doesn't seem to be this wavering faith kind of a guy that, that he kind of gets named for. Um, but there's, there's another part of Thomas that I think we, we often miss, and it kind of reveals itself in these two passages where we see that Thomas is, is a little bit of a pessimist, right? He's kind of skeptical about things. And uh, I think about a glass. Tell me about this glass. Half empty? How many of you say half empty? Nobody. You just don't want to be labeled a pessimist. How many say half full? 
right? Half full, right? Uh, if you're a realist, you would say there's just another glass that I have to wash, right? Uh, if you're an engineer, you might say the glass is just too big. Uh, but either way, we all have a different way of looking at things. And Thomas seems to be one of those guys that just sees the glass as half empty. He's skeptical. He's got a lot of questions. And we're going to see that in his story this morning as we look at John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 19, but let me give you a little bit more background to what's going on here. Jesus has been ministering for three years publicly. He's been performing miracles and he's been teaching. And over the course of these three years, he becomes extremely popular and the people begin to think of him as a leader. Now, the people in Israel at this time were expecting a Messiah a savior, the one that we often call the Christ. But they had their own ideas about who that person would be and what kind of things he would do. You see, they were expecting a Messiah that would come and conquer the Romans, that he would kick out the Romans and set them free. You see, their idea of a Messiah was something different than what Jesus actually does. We know that Jesus' mission was not to come and kick out occupying government from the land, but to destroy the sin that occupies our lives, and he did that by dying on the cross. So Jesus becomes wildly popular, and the, the Pharisees, the leaders, religious leaders say, hey, we've got to do something, we've got to get this guy out of here, and they make decision, the decision to have him killed. And so on Friday, Good Friday, that we just celebrated, Jesus is crucified. And on the cross, he bears the burden of our sin and dies in our place. But on the third day, he's raised from the dead. Now, our story, where we pick up today in John chapter 20, takes place on the evening of that very first Easter Sunday, sometimes called Resurrection Sunday. So Mary Magdalene and some other women had gone to the tomb to finish preparing the body for a proper burial, but they found the tomb empty that we just sang about. And Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and he says, go tell the others. And she goes and she tells the others, and, and the scripture says that her words seemed like nonsense to them. Just like when Marty tells Doc, hey, I'm from the future, those words seem like nonsense to him. And so they don't believe him, and Peter and John take off, and they go to the empty tomb, and they find nothing. And they're not sure what to make of this. They're still a little bit confused about what's going on. Later in the day, Jesus appears to two other disciples who are traveling out to the country. Jesus is dead. Their leader is gone. They don't know what to do, so they're like, well, it's the weekend. I guess we'll go out to the country. So they go for a little stroll out to this place called Emmaus, but Jesus appears to them on the road and reveals himself to them, and they immediately run back, and they tell the disciples who are in Jerusalem. And that's where our story picks up in John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, in the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Now get this, in the original language, notice that it says the doors, uh, but typically what that means is that the downstairs doors are locked and the upstairs, upstairs doors are locked. You think these guys are afraid? How many of you, when you go to bed, you lock the, the front door and every door between your bedroom? That's what these guys are doing. They're afraid. They're afraid. They don't know what's happening. And then it says, Then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But one of the twelve... Thomas, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas, we see he begins this story as a powder. We don't know exactly where Thomas is. We don't know what what exactly he's doing. But imagine being in his situation. Imagine being where he is. He's despondent. He's depressed. He's discouraged because his leader, his master, his rabbi, the one that he thought was the Messiah, the conquering king, has been killed. And so Thomas does what many of us do, which is he pulls away from the people of God. And he begins to sulk. He begins to pout. The very first thing we see about Thomas is that he was a powder and he misses the very first Resurrection Sunday. Now, if there was ever an argument for not missing church, it would be this right here, right? Think about all that Thomas missed. He's got to hear about it from the other guys for for another week. He hears about all that he missed. What are some of the things that Thomas missed? One of the first things he missed was, was Jesus' presence. Jesus' presence. At first, the other Gospels tell us that the disciples thought that Jesus was a ghost. And Jesus says, no, I'm not a ghost. Because he just, remember, the doors are locked and Jesus just appears in the room with them. So to prove that he is truly resurrected, he eats in front of them. He eats. And so they see, wow, this really is Jesus. And then the other Gospels tell us that he showed us, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they see and they believe. They, that, but because Peter was not there, he missed out on a tangible experience with Jesus. Something that we need every single day. An experience with Jesus. The second thing Thomas misses out on is the peace of God. He misses out. Jesus twice says, peace to you. Peace to you. It's the Hebrew greeting, shalom. Meaning, would you have complete and utter peace in your life? So he misses the peace and the presence of God. Are you aware of God's presence and peace in your life daily? Or are you like Thomas who is continuing to look for proof? And that's the second thing he misses. He misses the proof. The scripture tells us that Jesus showed the disciples his hands and his feet. He says, you want proof that I'm raised? Here's the proof. Look at the marks. Look at my hands. Look at what I am. And it says that the disciples rejoiced after seeing the proof. And then Jesus gives them a plan. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He gives them a plan. He says, hey, I've got something for you for the rest of your lives. And then Jesus breathes on them. This is not the Pentecost. This is just kind of like a down payment. He says, hey, I know there's, there's a long time coming before the Holy Spirit finally comes in full power. But I'm going to give you a little taste of what's to come. And he breathes on them and he gives them power. The power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, Jesus says, hey, uh, I am giving you the message that sin has been overcome and and death has been defeated. I'm giving you that message to take to the world, to give your life a purpose. Next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series on purpose and how we can live for something greater than ourselves. And I hope you'll join us for that. But think about all the things that Thomas missed. Look at this list. He misses the peace the presence, the proof, the plan, the power, and the purpose. And we know that he goes an entire week wondering if what the other disciples are is saying is really true. He doesn't believe them, all because he missed them. Now again, you talk about the fear of missing out. Can you imagine hearing those stories from the other ten? How many of you know what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out, right? So here, you can imagine... Peter being like, hey, look, I got a selfie with Jesus. Check this out. 
That's a good-looking guy up there with Jesus, right? That's how we like to picture our Jesus, taking selfies with us. But you can imagine the stories. They're like, man, we got to touch him. We got to see him eat. And this story just seems so amazing to him. It's so outlandish and so crazy that he says, no, I, I can't possibly believe it. I can't possibly believe it. Let's look at verse 25 and see how he responds to the other 10. Remember, these are 10 men that he has spent the last three years of his life with, and he won't believe them. Verse 25, going back to 24, but one of the 12, Thomas, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will never believe. Now, there are some really cool things happening here in this text where Thomas is saying, if I don't thrust my hand into his side, if I can't physically touch him, he uses a double negative. He says, I will never, ever believe ever, right? So in Texan, he says, I ain't never going to believe. I ain't never going to believe unless I can touch it. Unless I can touch it. And this is where he gets his name as Thomas the doubter. So he moves from being a powder to being a doubter. He must have been heartbroken. All of his hopes, all of his dreams about being with the Messiah, the one who is coming to conquer, are dashed because Jesus is dead. And he hears from the others. He's watched his, his Savior, his Messiah, the Christ, be killed, be arrested, have illegal trials, and finally hung on a cross and thrown into a tomb. I think if we were in Thomas's place, I, I don't think we should be quite so hard on him. I think many of us would have had doubts as well. I think many of us would have been in the exact same place, and I say that with full confidence, knowing that many times we often are in the exact same place. We've experienced God's presence in the past. We've seen God do amazing things in our lives, but some circumstance comes up in our life, and suddenly we begin to have doubts about who God is and what he's doing. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's the loss of a family member. Maybe it's just some really difficult thing that you're facing in your life, and all of a sudden you begin to doubt who God is and what he's doing. I don't think Thomas is that much different from any of us. How often do we find ourselves questioning who God is and what he's doing? We have to realize that the other disciples were not really any that different from Thomas. The only difference is they got to experience Jesus eight days earlier than Thomas did. Because remember, they're, they're hiding away. If you knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, he'd overcome sin and death, do you think you would be afraid the way that they were afraid? No, I think they, they very well had their own doubts. And so they hide and they lock themselves away. And so we see Thomas here with doubting, but there's something more to Thomas. I, I said earlier that he was kind of a skeptic. And honestly, with Thomas, what I see is not that he's doubting Thomas, but he's disbelieving Thomas. And there's a big difference between just having doubt and being a disbeliever. There's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is not the re- not rejection of belief, but holding a belief with hesitation and uncertainty. Doubt involves believing something with questions about whether it's really true or not. In fact, doubt seems to be dependent on belief. Doubt says, I cannot believe. There are too many problems. Unbelief says, I will not believe unless you give me the evidence I ask for. And in this, we see the big difference. We see a big difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt 
is something that happens in our mind when we say, man, there's a lot of obstacles. I just don't know that I can get there. I'm just not sure about this. Disbelief is a matter of the heart and of the will. When we say, I will not believe. I will not believe. Even if I see this, I'm not going to believe it. And so really what I see in Thomas is not a man who's, who's doubting, but a man who is disbelieving. And I have to say, I know there are some of you here this morning that you have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ because you have doubts, because you have disbelief. And I want to encourage you that there are answers out there, that there are many here this morning who would be happy to help you with your questions, who would be happy to help you find answers to your questions. And in a little bit, we're going to hear a story from someone who's exactly like you. Um, But there are also those here this morning who are believers, and you're struggling with your doubts. You're facing difficult situations in your life, and you're wondering, where is God in this situation? What is God doing? And I want to challenge you this morning with this question. Do you live in your doubts and visit your faith, or do you live in your faith and visit your doubts? There's a big difference. Do you live in your faith and visit your doubts, or live in your doubts and visit your faith? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is resurrected, that he has shown that he has overcome sin and death, that he has brought us into new life, there's only one option. And that is that we would live in our faith and occasionally visits our doubt, visit our doubts. It's okay to have doubts. Can I put you all at ease this morning? It's okay to have doubts from time to time. But knowing that we have a faith in a resurrected Lord and Savior who has overcome sin and death, ought to give us the confidence to move forward and to say, I have faith that God is working. I don't understand it, but I have faith to know that God is working. And so I'm going to move forward even in my doubts. It's funny to me that that Thomas doesn't believe the 10 men that he spent the last three years of his life with. He has a hard time believing them. But Jesus, Jesus shows himself to Thomas. Watch how Jesus responds and transforms Thomas's life. Beginning in verse 26, after eight days, so the first Sunday counts as one day, all the way to the next Sunday, so this is another Sunday, and I love this, after eight days, uh, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. You think Thomas learned his lesson? He says, hey, I'm not missing another Sunday. So Thomas is with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. And we get this great wrap up. I love this. Notice that Jesus' disciples didn't say, Thomas, you're an unbeliever. Get out of here. You don't belong. Notice how they responded. They say, Thomas, come with us. Come meet with us. Keep, keep hanging in there. Keep coming. And I want to tell you that Jesus responds the same way. He knows exactly what Thomas needs. And so when he shows up, he doesn't, nobody had to tell Jesus what Thomas asked for. Jesus knew what Thomas was looking for, and he gives him the evidence he's looking for. And I want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've yet to put your trust in him, River Rock Bible Church, 
wants you to be here every Sunday. You don't have to be a believer to join us. You don't have to be a believer to be in one of our community groups. We would love for you to come with your questions. God is not afraid of your questions, and neither are we. Come with your doubts, because we believe that as you continue to come, you will begin to experience Jesus in a new way. The same way that Thomas experienced Jesus after the resurrection. So Thomas moves from being a powder to being a doubter to now he's going to become a shouter. And look at what he says. He, his exclamation, it's one of the greatest proclamations about Jesus in all of Scripture. And he says this. He says in verse 28, Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is the first proclamation of Jesus' deity after the resurrection. The very first. Thomas is the first one to say, This is my Lord and my God very similar to the way the Jews in the Old Testament would have called God the Lord God. He says, he's my Lord and my God. And I love, Jesus offers to him, he says, look, put your hands here, touch right here. But seeing is enough for Thomas. Jesus is willing to meet him where he is, but Thomas gets just a taste of what he asks for, and he says, that's enough for me, Lord. I get it now. I believe. And we see even Jesus calls Thomas out, not as as a doubter, but as an unbeliever. He says, stop being an unbeliever. Stop being an unbeliever and believe. Trust in me. Look, Thomas, I'm here. I am raised from the dead and everything has changed. And in fact, everything does change for Thomas. In Acts chapter 1, we read that Thomas is there. He's one of the the 120 that are gathered in a room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. And then we never hear about Thomas again from Scripture. But church history tells us that Thomas became a shouter, a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that he traveled all the way to India through Persia. So modern-day Iraq, Iran, he travels through there proclaiming the gospel. He makes his way all the way to India. Some accounts even have him going all the way to China with the gospel. And we know that it's there in India that he is martyred for his faith. He's martyred for his faith. So this man moves from being a powder to being a doubter to having no doubt in his mind about who Jesus is and the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. It changed his life. It changed who he is. I know many of you here who've yet to put your trust in Christ, you read this story, you see this story, and you say, yeah, but that happened long ago. That kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. I need some some real tangible proof. How could, how could God really show me and transform my life? Well, I want you to know that at River Rock Bible Church, we believe in life transformation. We believe in change. And in fact, we have a story of one of our very own uh, that I think you'll be able to relate to. He started out as one with many questions, and I'd love for you to just hear his story. Hi, my name is Greg Gianelli. Um, when I first started attending River Rock, I just really had a, a really positive experience. Uh, I looked around the, the church and just saw the, the genuine and sincere faith that a lot of the members had and, and noticed that I was different. Um, at this time, I was just struggling with a lot of doubt, a lot of intellectual doubt that got in the way of my faith, and, and nothing was really satisfying uh, that doubt. Um, coincidentally, around this time is when the church was going through a series on evangelism, and during one of the sermons, they put out references for books and, and websites that were intended to answer the, the questions or doubts of unbelievers. Um, and I saw this as a sign, and it, just, it was just such a coincidence that 
those resources also helped me overcome a lot of my doubts and answered my questions as well. So I went and bought those books and went to those websites that night to start answering those questions. Um, around the same time, we started becoming more involved in our community group, uh, and I was asked to join a small men's group as well. And just kind of those culminating factors really helped me overcome uh, a lot of the doubt and questions that I had and really strengthened my faith. Um, the other thing I noticed is that I was not alone uh, in my doubts or asking those questions. So if you find yourself in that same boat, if you're struggling with doubt, I would just encourage you to, to look up you know, books and, and, and websites that are intended to answer those questions and, and uh, stifle those doubts because they are out there and you will find rational and reasonable answers to all your questions. Also, become more involved. Challenge your community groups or your small groups. Uh, challenge them with your critical questions because you will find, again, reasonable answers to, to a lot of the questions that you have. Um, you know, if, if, if you're struggling with doubt, they're, they're, the answers are out there. God has revealed himself and, and, and answer, provided answers for all the questions you have. You just have to take that first step and, and go out there and find them. But there's, there's no reason that you, you need to struggle with doubt or it has to be your, your identity because I was able to overcome them. resurrection of Jesus from the dead changed everything. It transformed the lives of 11 men, transformed the life of one of his disciples named Thomas, who found himself pouting and doubting, but then he becomes a shouter of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this morning, maybe you're here and you're in the position where you're facing some difficult things, and your tendency is that when you go through something hard, you want to pull away from God and his people. I want to encourage you to press in. Maybe the very difficult thing that you're going through is that you have questions about Christianity. You have questions about how can I know that this really happened. And let me tell you that you and I, on this side of heaven, will never get to experience the body of Jesus Christ. We won't get to see, we won't get to put our hands there, but we do have the testimony of others. In fact, we're all here because 11 men gave their testimony over and over and over again over 2,000 years ago. But I want to tell you that God is still in the business of transforming lives. You just heard it from Greg. You can ask any one of our members and regular attenders about the life transformation that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought to their lives. We want to walk with you through that process. I want to read again what John says, how he ends chapter 20, he says, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. If you think back to earlier in Jesus' ministry, he gives what many call the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with something called the Beatitudes, that blessed are those who do this, blessed are those who do this. This is the very last Beatitude that Jesus gives. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And then John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, my whole purpose in writing this book, my whole purpose in writing this story about Thomas is so that you would not have to be like Thomas. Thomas lived for eight days doubting, questioning the resurrection. He missed the presence of God. He missed the peace of God. He missed the joy that the other ten disciples got to have. He had no joy in his life for eight days. 
because he had those doubts. He let those questions remain. And John says, I don't want you to have to be like Thomas was during those eight days. I want you to be like Thomas after he experienced Jesus. I want you to know that new life, and not just new life, but eternal life in him. That is the good news of the resurrection. That is the good news of Easter, that on Friday, Jesus died for our sins, paying the penalty completely for all of our sins that were keeping us separate from God. But on Sunday, he rose in power from the dead, and God proved that he had accepted Jesus' payment. And that changed everything. It changed the history of the world. So if you're here this morning and you're one who has questions, I want to encourage you, keep coming. Ask your questions, but I also want to encourage you that it's okay to move forward in doubt. It's okay to say, you know, I still don't understand everything, but I do understand that Jesus died for my sins. I do understand, and I, I want to know more. Others of you here this morning as followers of Christ, maybe you identify with Thomas in this way, that, that you're living in your doubts. You're living in your doubts and only occasionally visiting your faith. And I want to encourage you this morning to flip that script, that you would move to begin living in your faith and visiting your doubts. I have a couple resources. The first is the book that, um, that Greg mentioned. One of the books that he read is called A Case for Faith. And this is going to take a little bit of, of bravery, a little bit of uh, Thomas-like stepping out there. Um, but is there someone here who would say, you know what, I have questions about the Christian faith, or maybe I just want to know more, and I would love to get my hands on that book. If that's you this morning, I'd love to just give it to you right now. If anybody would be brave enough to say that. If not, you can come catch me after the service. Excellent. We've got one right here. Perfect. Thank you, Eva. Everybody give Eva a hand. Thank you. The last one is a, a book by John Ortberg, and it says, No Doubt, K-N-O-W, Doubt. And uh, it says, um, uh, talks about the importance of br- embracing the uncertainty of your faith, that there are uncertainties that we face in our faith, and in fact, if it weren't for uncertainties, it wouldn't require faith, right? So is there someone here this morning that says, you know what, I've got some doubts in my life, in my faith right now that I'm walking through, and I would love to learn more. Awesome. My good buddy, Austin Graham, back there. Somebody pass that to him. Thank you. Pass that back that direction. Thank you very much. You know, guys, give him a hand. As we close, I want us to again be reminded of the reality. Jesus challenges Thomas. He says, stop being an unbeliever and become a believer. Become a believer. That same offer is available for us today. And that is Jesus' plea to you, is that you would understand that according to Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that God has a standard that no one of us could ever possibly meet. His standard is perfection, and we can't meet it. The Bible goes on to tell us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, meaning that because of our sin, we deserve to be eternally separated from God for all eternity. But there's good news, and that good news is the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news of the cross. But it doesn't end there. The good news gets even better. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8 and 9 that we don't have to work for our salvation. Our salvation doesn't come by the number of church services we attend or by the amount of money that we give or the good things that we do. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one 
may boast. The Bible tells us clearly that it takes faith. It takes faith to move from death to life. In the moment that we put our trust in Jesus, it's much like you're sitting in the chair right now, using no strength of your own to hold you up. You can lift your feet off the ground and you can trust that that chair is going to keep you from falling on the ground. It's exactly what the Bible asks us to do. It asks us to rest in Jesus. And I know you're thinking, you know what, I don't have enough faith to do that yet. And I would tell you, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Every single one of us exercises faith every single day. In fact, many of you are going to leave here and you're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to be served by a waiter that you don't know and you don't know if that cook is playing five-second rule in the back with your chicken breast. And this waiter that you don't know if they like you or not is going to bring you food and you have no clue what's happened from the time it was cooked to the time it was brought to your table and you're going to eat it and you're going to say, Mmm, that's tasty. And you're going to trust that nobody spit on it and nobody played hockey in the back with it. You have faith. Many of you are going to drive down Williams at some time this week. You're going to drive down D.B. Woods and you're trusting that that car coming the other direction is not going to veer into your lane and hit you head on. You have faith. You exercise it every single day. Why not exercise it in the most important area of your life and just take that one step towards Jesus and say, today... I will stop being an unbeliever and I will be a believer. I will trust in him and him alone. It's that simple. Our elders are going to be stationed throughout the room. We have two elders that will be in the back. Myself and one of our other elders, Bill Gravel, will be up here in the front. If that is you this morning, you say, I I just want to know more. I still have doubts, but I'm ready to find out more. If that's you, as the band plays in just a minute, we would invite you to come. And we would love to pray with you. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Their wives will also be with them. Maybe you're here this morning as a believer and you, you recognize, I'm living in my doubts. I'm living in my doubts. I'm missing the joy of the Lord because I'm only visiting my faith. And there's something in your life that you're struggling with that you just want to pray with someone. Let this morning be a morning that you get the opportunity to pray with someone. You get the opportunity to experience God's presence and the joy that He has to offer you. So no matter where you are, if you would just love the opportunity to pray with someone, you have questions, our elders are already stationed in the back. Uh, Judge Gravel, Bill Gravel will be here, and I'm up here with my wife as well. We invite you at this time. Would you stand and worship with us, and as God leads you, would you just come for prayer? We would love the opportunity to pray with you.